Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome to the Bad Boys Club. I'm Steven Vanderhoek. And I'm Phil Shemina. Where each episode we discuss a book and whatever tangents come our way in order to discover the key ideas of each book and arrive at higher ways of thinking. Steven. What's happening? What's happening? <laughs> What's happening? I actually... Just two weeks ago, I watched, I probably watched half of Office Space, just some clips of on YouTube. Yeah. I stayed up late one night, like, <laughs> nice YouTube for, like, for like 40 minutes and just watched a ton of, a ton of, like, All the Office Space clips. Yep. That movie is so good. Um, it is so underrated with our generation, because <laughs> it's just old. Yeah. Well, it came out in the 90s, and did it come out? I think it came, well, or like maybe turn of the century because the whole point. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Oh, with, was a whole. Oh, that's right. Because that he's job. trying to get them ready for Y two for Y two K. Yeah, so so it came out sometime around that. So around twenty I, years ago, whatever. I bet it'd be even funnier now because we were just before we even turned this microphone on, we were having the conversation about our about just jobs and corporate jobs and yeah. future growth and what the day to day looks like and everything and. So I bet having now spent a few years in a company and kind of like understanding a little bit of office politics, that movie would be 10 yeah. times I thought it was funny in college and then after getting a fir- my first full-time job and starting it, just dying. Yep. Way funnier. Way more relatable. Um, and I was working at a tech company. Yeah. I was only... Well, a, hey, well that's... I, I was imagining the suckiness of other jobs that yes. I didn't go to. Anyway. We are doing... Uh, we're doing Big Magic, by, Big Magic by Liz Gilbert. Yeah. Author of Eat, Pray, Love, and Signature of All Things. I did not know that. I've so, never read any other of her books. <laughs> I haven't either. But I so Eat, Pray, Love. It was like her runaway bestseller that sold like ten million copies. Awesome. And so, what is that for her? Like sixty bucks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how it translates how much the author <laughs> no, actually like, makes. Yeah. Well, how much? Like, how much do you think they make from that? Well, because each have... book is so. Let's say is selling for so ten million. And let's just go super easy and say that. The book sold for ten bucks a piece, which well, some of those paperbacks will sell for like ten bucks. Yeah. So there's a hundred yeah. million dollars of revenue coming in, and printing of those books is super cheap. Yeah, publishers take a lot. Publishers I don't, I don't are know. getting some good money. I remember a long time ago. This was years ago. I was watching uh, the Secret. Oh, the the book. Yeah, dude. It, well, there's <laughs> a lot of similar. There, like I was reading some reviews, and there's a lot of like overlap between big magic and the secret oh, funny. in certain ways we can get into that <laughs> so later. anyway one of the guys was the author of the chicken soup for the soul books oh jack Han- no not jack hannah i know who you're talking jack canfield okay yep <laughs> and i remember what he was saying like okay i need to make a hundred thousand dollars how would i do that and he was like well if i can sell if i can write a book that says this many copies at a quarter and i get a quarter a piece i was like he's only getting a quarter per book what yeah, and, and, that is... and I think at the time, one, this was a long time ago. This was ten years ago that I watched this. Uh-huh. Two, he was referring to a long time ago when he was early on in his career. Oh, okay. And so I don't know what that means. I don't know if it was in the sixties, seventies, not sixties. He's not that old. Yeah, eighties, whatever. Uh huh. Also, if you're a small author, 
you, right. It's going to be very, obviously yeah. J.K. Rowling has the the world at her fingertips, and any publishing company will do anything she you know she yep. demands, right? If you're some no name author who's had one book be published, or no books, or no books, it's you probably don't get a lot of money for your first book. And, yeah. and again, things also the publishing industry has changed so much. You can now self publish, yeah. right? You, you can, <laughs> you can, but like. And that's that's something that I I don't know anything about the world of publishing Me because either. I've never really wanted to publish a book. Right. I do kind of want to actually in cool. in my life. That's one of my goals is to every is to, is to write some sort of book. Yeah. Everyone who reads a lot wants to write a book. Um. But but yeah, you can self publish. But the thing is, it's almost impossible to like sell a ton of those. Right. Unless you have unless you have an incredible like social media network, maybe is like a. As kind of like a blogger, maybe you could do that, where people already read people already read your writing. Yeah, yeah. So you're already an established author. I don't know. Sell it for five bucks a piece and collect all of that. Yeah. Digital copies only, so it's zero dollars. Oh, so zero dollars. <laughs> yeah, print seriously. Them. Yeah. <laughs> what, what were we? What well, we were talking about? about. We were talking about how. So she came oh, out. Oh, she made Liz, a lot of so Liz Gilbert. With Eat, love, she made. Pray. She she <laughs> sold a ton to, about Eat, Pray, Love, and. They made a movie about it with Julia Roberts. It was just a huge hit. I must be missing out. And people... No, I don't think you are. I don't think it's up your alley. It was kind of like the 40-year-old disillusioned mom who's really, like, unhappy with her life. Who's in, like, book clubs and is kind of reaching, like, this midlife crisis of all her time is being spent with her three kids and her husband that pays no attention to her. I think it was really, like, tapping into that underserved market dude that is how you just perfectly described how i feel about brene brown oh <laughs> which i which is so funny because i freaking love i actually love darren greatly man darren greatly is great <laughs> the quote is better than the book though <laughs> i will say that it, was, it is such a money quote but i feel like she really prays into that same market which is i'm not saying that's a bad thing but yep. i'm not that market so you know if it's not me it sucks <laughs> yeah <laughs> But, uh, yeah. Oh, I, I don't doubt that. She's clearly wildly successful, Brene Brown, and, yeah. and, and this Eat, Pray, Love. Uh-huh. But not for me. Yeah, like. I, I, know what you, I know what you're saying. <laughs> Yet, and I agree with that, but I've, I've now talked to like a couple like of my close guy friends because Big Magic, I think also, if we're looking at a Venn diagram, there's a lot of, in this book, of Big Magic, that would overlap with that specific group that I just mentioned. Totally. Yet... A lot of like my a lot of like my dude friends like you, my roommate Spencer Carter. I know a couple others that actually loved this book, Big Big Magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a and, lot. There's, it's a broader market, and I think it's a broader market. And I think there's a lot that there was half this book that I was like, "What is she talking about? This is ridiculous, new agey <laughs> stuff." Like the transferring. So, and, so first of all, the book is about creativity. Yes. Let's first yeah. say okay. That. Let's let okay. yeah. Let's let's get into what the book is, and then I'm gonna get into my critiques a little bit later. Sure. So it's creative living beyond fear. So it's how can you? So it's not even just uh, creative creativity in the through the mindset of I want to write a book or I want to paint a painting. It's a much broader view of what creativity is. Yeah. And how to live a creative life, or in other words, a curious life. Yeah. Kind of going back to our discussion, uh, I remember a few podcasts ago about Leonardo da Vinci, about that whole... Mm, yeah, yeah, just... Leonardo da Vinci was Cur- the, He was curious. He was... That was his like, he number was one so underlying trait. so curious. 
And so he was the embodiment of a lot of these ideas that Brene Brown or that Liz Gilbert has yeah. in Big in Big Magic. Yeah. Let me offer a revision on what I was getting into with sure, Eat, Pray, Love a little bit, where I was saying it, that came off very uh, my description of it. I have not read it. There's probably a good <laughs> chance I would love it. Maybe it, it came, it, and maybe not. But it came off very condescending towards any woman who's forty years old who's going through a tough time in her marriage who loves that book. So my apologies to everyone out there who's listening. I'm sure it's a great book. and But if it's not your thing, that's totally okay. Nah, man. No apologies here. We're bad boys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dog. What's up, bro? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So she breaks up her book into six different sections. So I think it's, so it's courage, enchantment, permission, persistence, trust, and divinity. And those, she kind of, says those are six main themes that encompass creativity. So should we start with fear and how to get beyond fear and how fear is one of the major roadblocks to creativity yeah. and living a creative life? Yeah, I, I really liked this portion and there is a part in the book I want to read from and it's, it's a pretty long excerpt but it's worth reading verbatim because it is just, she nails so many excuses that are fear-driven. And you got to remember, when she's talking about creativity, she's not just strictly talking visual arts. It could be doing your podcast. It could be mm-hmm. whatever you want. And that's one thing I like. That's why I think it's such a big market and broad audience for this book. Yeah. Because I do believe that everyone has is an innate creator. If you yeah. expand the definition of creativity. I don't care if you're a coder. Yeah. <laughs> there can be creativity in that, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be visual art to be in order to be creativity. Uh, oh, I think we far too frequently pigeonhole ourselves into thinking what a creative person is yeah it's and and i can't tell you the times that i've said it where i've been like oh yeah i can't draw i'm not creative right how uh, simple-minded is that right it's it's like there's such I've a, said the same thing a million times you know yeah i oh yeah and or writing like like it's like drawing and fiction writing are the only two ways in which you can manifest and express creativity and music Oh, dude, I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting music. <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> but that's all. Nothing else. And and she does a really good job of saying there are so many ways in which, like, even if you have the most doldrum corporate drone office job, cooking. If you have can be creative, who cares? Cooking could be creative. If you have a creative mindset, you can find unique ways and putting your own personal brand on things, which will. Anytime you do something creative that you follow your curiosity and you uh, put your own personal spin on things, it ends up blessing and ends up being a net positive to the institution, to the organization, or and especially to yourself. Yeah. So how would you define creativity? Ooh, that's a good that's a good question. It's tough right after that lead up because <laughs> we're saying that we're saying we don't want to pigeonhole what? creativity. Yeah. Well, I mean and I'm saying this off the cuff and when I go back and listen to this I'm you sure can, I'm going to yeah, have a way better yeah. a, a way more refined definition but creativity is in my opinion anything any act that broadens your mindset it's it, it's looking at things through your own personal set of rules it's it's not breaking messi- new grounds it's breaking new grounds yeah. it's uh, any- do it, it's doing something that Anything that really excites you. Okay. Interesting. Um, could be a creative act. Interesting. I might say like entering any frontier. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I don't know. And, and, and this actually brings up a good point to, to connect with fears. One of the biggest fears, of course, is criticism. And we'll dive a little bit more into that one specifically. But the idea that once you say something, that's your opinion on it or that's your cap of knowledge on it. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm just going to define creativity off the cuff because I was asked a question. I'm not going to freak out about it and define yep. my personal brand by this. Yep. This one, <laughs> yeah. this one question. And exactly. people like to do that, right? You, mm-hmm. you see one interview of some guy and you think, wow, this guy's an idiot. Look mm-hmm. how bad he did in this interview. He doesn't know very much. It's like, yeah. Maybe. But he probably knows a lot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> why, why, are you, why are you being such a jerk? <laughs> stop judging him based on one small interaction when you have a totality of experiences that you're missing out on. Boom. I actually, can I real quick ask a kind of a philosophical question on sure. creativity though? So, so you mentioned, you mentioned music and you mentioned, like we mentioned drawing and, and writing as, yeah. as your quote unquote, like traditional creative acts. Yeah. But would learning to play like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and just learning where your fingers go on a piano, you're playing music but I wouldn't necessarily define that as a creative expression. Hmm. Um, or same with if I were to just see a novel and rewrite The Great Gatsby on my laptop, I would just be copying. I'd be reiterating what somebody else has already done, even though I'd technically be writing a, a sure. fiction book. Sure. Or drawing where it's like you're simply following what what another artist has done. Yeah, you're tracing. You're, you're, yeah, you, you put some trace paper over <laughs> yeah. over something and you're, would you define those as creative acts? Uh, baby steps. Okay. Right. I mean, and learning, maybe learning techniques so that you can then break out of those techniques and create something. Yeah, you got to start own. somewhere. So, Sure. Yeah, that's more. It's more. That's more. Honestly, that's more skill development than creativity. Actually. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And you're and not, I guess you're not and, entering any new frontier. A lot of these things that that we classically defined as creativity like music for example might not actually be as creative as we think actually i don't think it's ah, is all that creative because for the most part people <laughs> that learn to play the piano and let's say you learn to play that's a creative cold, you, you learned to, yeah, thank you <laughs> you learned to, you learn to play cold plays yellow on the piano and you have the sheet music in front of you and you've just learned where to place that's your so interesting it's skill I, development not, that's not that's, creativity and same with drawing, like for the oh, whole, that's and, so and so they can say, "Oh, I'm creative." Are you really though? Are you creating something new? Going back to my thought of what is creativity, it's creating something. It has to be creating something that's new to you. Yeah. I mean, we could maybe somebody else has already thought of it. Maybe somebody else has already done it. Sure. But at least it's you can brand. come up with a dad joke, and you're not the only dad to come up with that joke. But if yep. you came up with it originally, it's still it was your creativity. It's, yep, it's your your yeah. creation. You know, it doesn't have to be. Unique to be new, yep. to be original. Yep, and I think that she's she's kind of encouraging us to think outside the lines and create something for ourselves. Yeah. Read your quote. <clears throat> Let's dive into these fears. She's, Let me list for you some of the many ways in which you might be afraid to live a more creative life. You're afraid you have no talent. You're afraid you'll be rejected or criticized or ridiculed or misunderstood or, worst of all, ignored. You're afraid there's no market for your creativity and therefore no point in pursuing it. You're afraid somebody else already did it better. You're afraid everybody else did it better. You're afraid somebody will steal your ideas so it's safer to keep them hidden forever in the dark. You're afraid you won't be taken seriously. You're afraid your work isn't politically, emotionally, or artistically important enough to change anyone's life. 
You're afraid your dreams are embarrassing. You're afraid that someday you'll look back on your creative endeavors as having been a giant waste of time, effort, and money. You're afraid you don't have the, the right kind of discipline. You're afraid you don't have the right kind of workspace or financial freedom or empty hours in which to focus on invention or exploration. You're afraid you don't have the right kind of training or degree. You're afraid you're too fat. Parentheses. I don't know what this has to do with being creative exactly, but experience has taught me that most of us are afraid we're too fat. So let's just put that, that on the anxiety list for good measure. Love that. You're afraid of being exposed as a hack you're, or a fool or a dilettante or a narcissist. You're afraid of upsetting your family with what you may reveal. You're afraid of what your peers and coworkers will say if you express your personal truth aloud. You're afraid of unleashing your innermost demons, and you really don't want to encounter your innermost demons. You're afraid your best work is behind you. You're afraid you never had any best work to begin with. You're afraid you neglected your creativity for so long that now you can never get it back. You're afraid you're too old to start. You're afraid you're too young to start. You're afraid because something went well in your life once, so obviously nothing can ever go well again. You're afraid because nothing has ever gone well in your life. Why bother trying? You're afraid of being one a one-hit wonder. You're afraid of being a no-hit wonder. Yeah. That can sum up all fears in every experience. Of that. That's like yeah, the human that is, condition. Yeah, that is, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, why don't you want to put that, that cool thing that you had, that cool thought that you had out there in the world because one of, of any one of those reasons. Or several, yeah. Or several. And I love the, the contradictory ones. Too old, too young. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, because it's just, you can always because you can always find always an excuse. Something to be afraid of. Can I give you an example from my own life, please? I created a, uh, a a small journal company. Plug it. Atlas Paper Co. Loud and proud. www.atlaspaperco.com. So I created a journal. I wanted I wanted to create a better journal. So I created this thing. I made this website, and thus far, for all intents and purposes, I would would classify it as a as a failure. I haven't really gotten that many sales, but at the same time, I also haven't done that much marketing yeah. on it either. I, I don't think I could define it as a success or a failure right now. I think it's still in that middle ground. Something that's been holding me back though, um, from like posting about it more, doing a Kickstarter for it is, are, are those things. So, so I'm, I'm so, so number one, I actually did, I actually was a little bit afraid to just create this and put this thing out there. I don't. I don't know why. It was just because of any of any one of those reasons. You I'm know really... why? You just don't want to think about it. You don't want to dwell on it. Yeah. But if you list, if, and this might be a good practice, you read through these. Yep. When you're hesitant to do something. Yes. It's a good introspection thank, because you thank list them all out. Yep. And, and so you can identify and say, you know what, the joy that this creation would would bring me outweighs the fear and outweighs the potential cons of this of realizing this fear Mm -hmm. so let's say you're you have a fear of failure and you put something out into the world and it just is completely panned critics hate it audiences hate it or even worse yet nobody even pays attention to it yeah yeah i was gonna say that also (laughs) sucks where it's just it's just no one cares about it and and you were like this was this was near and dear to me at least you did something and if anyone is going to be benefited from that, you were benefited. And that's that's, what, what, I, really that's what I want to get at. When we talk success and failure, you're, you're focusing on measurable uh, end results, mm-hmm. right? That's what you're saying. You don't know if it's yeah. success or failure. And 
when it comes to creativity, I think you succeed as soon as you start working. Yeah, because this book... I don't care how lame that sounds. I I don't... No, I I agree with you because this book is all about process and is not about results. Yeah. And she's saying it doesn't... It honestly... Just divorce yourself from the idea that your success, your creative success, is based on your results, or com- or or paralleled with commercial success, or paralleled with commercial success. It yeah. doesn't have to be. Yeah, it can be. It can be completely separate from that, and you can still say this was a this was a success. And let's say it is a commercial hit. Great, that's awesome. Yeah, but if it's not, you've removed yourself and you're focusing on the process at the end of the day it doesn't matter who you are you only have room for a handful of social connections in a given day yeah and a handful of of relationships that you can really build Mm -hmm. so i don't care if you're kanye west when you release an album there's going to be a million people who write blogs on it people whose careers are based on you writing stuff so they can write about your writings yeah at the end of the day you go to bed next to your wife dude yeah. Are, are you happy that you created something? That you pursued your passion? Yeah. Did you follow what was in your heart? Did you follow what you actually wanted to create? Or did you follow what your thoughts were, what people wanted you, you, people expected you, or what you thought people wanted you to create? Yeah. The reality is most people don't create. Most people just criticize we could talk about the Darren Greatly quote that fits in right here, but you know the the idea. Oh, that once you step into the arena, that's what matters because most people don't ever step into the arena. Yeah, and it's like you just freaking do something, and that you're already if you if you want to measure yourself against others, which is a bad idea, you're already better than others. <laughs> that's such a that's such a good point. Of most people don't create, most people criticize. Yeah. Let's say I want to be an actor, and I go and watch. A movie, and I criticize, and all I do is I, after that movie, I criticize Brad Pitt's acting. Yeah, I say sucks. he had, I say that sucked, man. He could have done so much better. He, maybe he could have, maybe he couldn't have. But the truth is, he freaking did it. He did it. He was in the movie. He <laughs> yeah, was, he was the guy. Yeah. So go off and be the guy that's in the movie, and let other people criticize you. That's that's yeah. better. I did want to bring up one of my favorite stories in this book, going along with the fearing to do something or not doing something at all and was the story of Harper Lee who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. So Harper Lee writes To Kill a Mockingbird, which is definitely in my top five favorite novels. It's it's incredible. Um, but she writes it when she was young and it's a story. We, we all know the story. That, that's, that's irrelevant. She doesn't write another book ever again. The only ever the only other book that she published was on a watchtower or something like that. Yeah, didn't which it come out right when she died or something. It came out when she died, and it was actually her first draft of To Kill a Mockingbird. It was just oh. the publishers making a making a cash grab. Right. They they said, "Oh yeah, you have this first draft. You reworked it. It's the same story but different angles on it." And it was Ghost at a Watchtower. Anyway, so they published that book. And and so she never created another book after To Kill a Mockingbird. And so Elizabeth Gilbert was saying, I don't know the full reasons why Harper Lee never wrote another book. They could have been intensely personal, or there could have been a huge number of reasons. But it's also possible that she didn't write a book because she was afraid that it would never reach the same commercial success of yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. And so she was like... I've peaked. 
Anything yes, after this I, will be this, a failure. This is my apex. Anything after this, I'll never be able to rematch this success. Yeah. But Elizabeth Gilbert was saying, honestly, I wish that she had done something. I wish that she had come out with slutty romance novel. I wish that she, after that, she had just written what was fun for her to write and just put it out into the world regardless of critical reception. Maybe it would have been completely panned and everybody would have said, oh, man, she was a, she was a one-hit wonder. She was never as good as we thought she was. That wouldn't have mattered because she would have created what she wanted to create. Right. And obviously she had desires to create. She had desires to write these novels. So why did she not continue writing these novels? And so I asked myself, it doesn't matter what other people, or at least where I want to get to in life, and I'm not here yet, but I want to get there, is say, it doesn't matter what other people think of me. Yeah. That's irrelevant. I'm going to create what I want to create because I want to make it. It's something that I want in the world, so therefore I'm going to make it. Dude, let me tell you, the more and more I can embrace that and believe it and live it, the happier I am. And yeah. it's, it's, which is crazy. I definitely crossed a threshold, I feel like, in, in that regard of knowing for a fact 100%, I never want to care what people think about me. I yep. still do. Yeah. Which well, is it's, weird. It's human nature and it's, yeah. it's evolutionary yeah, and it's you biological. Part of the you, tribe. you have to be part of that group in yeah. some way. You don't want to be disbanded and but, ostracized. Yeah, but. I, I, but at least now I know that's what I want, even if I'm not perfect at it. Yep. But man, the more it's, and it's a lifelong journey and pro- process. But mm-hmm. man, when you don't care what other people think of you, life is great. Yeah. It's Especially because you're just living in your own head, life. and most of what people, what you think people think of you, they are not thinking. They do not care about you. <laughs> yeah, or they're not even. The amount of time that you yourself take up in your own head, no one else is taking that amount of time thinking about you. No, not at all. Well, I'm good friends with you, Stephen. I'm not sitting at home frequently thinking about Stephen Vanderhoek and what he did at work today and cool. what. Yeah. And if you are thinking of that of me, then that's great. Just dude. good things. It's all just good things. You know, Phil would appreciate this because he's a pimp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, life's, there's a lot, lot more going on, right? The world is not about us. Yep. There's another theme in this book that I really liked. Sorry, which... before you dive off, I yeah. want to get to another quote that's, that's really good about this. Oh, let's do it. Uh, Recognizing that people's reactions don't belong to you is the only sane way to create. If people enjoy what you created, terrific. If people ignore what you've created, too bad. If people misunderstand what you've created, don't sweat it. And what if people absolutely hate what you've created? What if people attack you with savage vitriol and insult your intelligence and malign your motives and drag your good name through the mud? Just smile sweetly and suggest that you go make that they go make their own art. Then stubbornly continue making your own. That is exactly what I tried to say over the last ten minutes. She's a good writer. In, She's pretty succinct. <laughs> in in twenty seconds, that was so much more eloquent than anything I could. I, I will say that's that one of the, her so strengths perfect. as a writer is the ability to conjure up so many ideas in so few words. Yep. Yeah, that was beautiful. I I one time speaking of Kanye West, I one time said this thinking that it was my own idea. And then mm-hmm. my brother-in-law was like, yeah, Kanye said that. And I was like, actually, I think you told me that Kanye said this a few months ago. I forgot and then thought it was my own idea. <laughs> so I don't know if this is attributed to Kanye or not. Yep. But just the idea that if people are criticizing you, that is a sign of success. In many ways, yes. In many, many cases. Because you're it at means least on, people you're care. On their, you're on their radar. <laughs> yeah. 
And then you could take it to the far extreme of like whatever Trump or Kanye who says that you know any press is good press. There's there's that whole yeah. idea. Whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about purposely saying controversial things just to stir up trouble and, and yeah. get get attention. I'm not yeah. talking about that type yep. of attention-seeking behavior. I'm just talking about if you have critics, that yeah. means that you've done something. If you're if you're putting, I'm not critiquing John Smith that I've never met. Mm-hmm. There's multiple quotes in in the world that exist about the same subject. If you want to have no critics, then the easiest way to have no critics is to do nothing at all with your life and live a life of of nothing. Yeah, and that's that's it, the only way you're going to avoid ever being criticized. It's the same principle, actually. The way you said this triggered the thought. This is the same principle of that great C.S. Lewis quote about love: "If you never want to have your heart broken, don't love anything and lock your yeah. take your heart and lock it in a box." Yeah, and then he goes on to say, like, but in that time, in that process, it will become hardened and callous, and nothing will be able to get in. Beautiful mm. quote, love it. It's like, you know about yep. just living. The idea is that you live life and you get hurt. Yeah, you don't you want have to make yourself vulnerable. You got to you got to trip and fall to learn how to walk. To the gotta pains get some bumps and, and bruises to live life. life because otherwise you're not going to have lived a full life. Yeah, and that's what this book is about. That's what creativity is about: is living life. Yeah. Anyways, Please. what were you, sorry? You were gonna, you were going to pivot. There's another theme in here, which is about giving yourself permission. And I loved it. And it takes me back to a book I read. I think it was a sophomore in college. And it was called, it was called What I Wish I Knew When I Was 20. I read that same book. Did you read that book? I, was there like an entrepreneurship class at BYU that they assigned it? That's exactly what it was. It was like an entrepreneurship it lecture was series. something C-League was her name. She's uh-huh. a professor at Stanford. Yep. Yep, yeah. that's right. And the book actually wasn't really what I thought it was going to be. About. Anyway, go on. Yeah. <laughs> it was still good. Yeah, and, and one of the things, only thing that I remember from that book about what I wish I knew when I was 20 is the principle of giving yourself permission. And so she had, the, the author of that book has the example in there of when she was like 30 or something, she started her own company. It was like a small company. There, she had a couple employees. And so she made business cards that said she was the CEO because she was the CEO of this company. And so she, she showed her dad this business card and her dad was like, a, her dad was a, uh, well, was a corporate man. And so he had lived his entire life. Of, corporate man. He, he, he had worked, I think for IBM. Of course. Which, which well, like, like, wasn't that in like, the, like, that's the most stereotypical. Like yeah. And so, so he saw that his daughter where it was like CEO and he was like, mm, this can't be because in his, Perception. He had one very strict definition. One, and the CEO was you had to work for twenty years at IBM, and then you had to excel and go through all the ranks of director, manager, VP, and then you became the CEO one day. And so her point was, you don't have to do that. You write your own rules, and in order to live a creative life, in order to live a full life. Give yourself permission to do what you want to do. Don't necessarily follow what your family's expectations are of you. Don't necessarily follow what your cultures, your states, your world's expectations are of you. Follow your own expectations and that will lead you into a better life. I I agree with it. I think think giving yourself permission to just allow yourself to say yes and break out of that mold is great. Now I'm trying to think of an example in which I've given myself permission to do something. Yeah, I'd say the BBC. Oh, BBC. Well, this, in all sincerity, 
this podcast is one of the things where I was like, I want to do this, and I actually don't care that much if a lot of, if ten people listen to this or if ten thousand people listen to this. I would prefer the latter, just strictly for the money. For yes, but that's it. But 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 I would go on <laughs> for for the for the extra little side income. <laughs> But other than that, it doesn't matter all that much. It's like it's fun for me to do, and I'm creating something that I've wanted to do this. So, hundred percent, this, all about this it. is a labor of love for me. Yep. In all reality, I'm, I'm kidding about the money and commercial success. Like, and, and I <laughs> wanted to do it because one hesitation I've had with actually doing it is the idea of, of what will my coworkers think of me when I actually have a public voice? Yeah. What if I embarrass my family? Right. Like you hear stories yeah. of like. My dad was abusive, and I came through. And like you hear these cool like Cinderella stories, and then you think, "Hey, wait a second. There are a lot of people who know that person's dad." Yeah. He had to face that fear and still be willing to say it, right, or, or whatever, yeah. right? Like you have to realize that, you know, there are people who know the people we talk about. Yeah. And so, that was one reason why I wanted to pursue this was just to stop caring about it. It was like an exercise of, you know, in order to develop any trait, you just got to work on it. You got to practice. Yep. And it was like, well, I'm going to just open my mouth, run it, and not care what other people think about it. Yeah. Give it to the world. This is I'm my I'm going to give myself permission to do this. Yep. Amen. Um, can I bring up another point from the book that I love? Please. Uh, she talks about the creative life and how it's become romanticized to quit your day job and to start writing that novel or to uh, quit your day job and and throw all cares to the wind and start that business and take out a massive loan or whatever and anyway um, essentially don't quit your day job you can pursue if you get lucky enough that you're making enough money from your creative uh passion then great but don't pursue creative passion solely for the point of making money that is a good way to be disappointed man yep (laughs) a lot of creative passions need to be a labor of love because you know what you're going to get in return love (laughs) not not dollars not food yeah (laughs) yeah and that's actually something that's interesting because one thing that people often do, and I, I, I know for myself, I've let this prevent me of the, letting the ideal pre, prevent any starting, mm-hmm. you know, getting started at all. Because yeah. it's like, well, I, w- I want to do this right. I want to start it right. Five yeah. years go by, I never started it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's one yeah. quote in there that I really like is just good or done is better than good. What, shoot, what is it? Did I mess that up? I think you got it. Done is, uh, done is better than perfect or something. No, no, no. We're going to get it right. We're going to get it that's, right. It's fine. Exactly. Right here. Done is better than good. Okay. Was, oh, you did get was, it right. That was a difficult so one. So I was wrong. Right. You were right. Just want to point that out. Let's <laughs> just get that straight for everybody. Yeah. So, so it, just do something. Like, like who cares? Like, I mean, there's a, I, I watch, there's a particular Twitch streamer I watch, and yes, he does it full time, and yes, he makes six figures. He makes a lot of money. But, and one, someone pointed out, they were like, hey, have you ever thought that if you did this, you'd have a bigger audience? And his response was just so great. He was like, yeah, this is the type of guy who he recently got married and he was wearing like a dragon shirt and it, he, you know, he got married in his apartment with a few friends. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. He marched, he marches to the beat of his own drum for sure. Right. And he was like, yeah, that's true. But the problem with that is I probably wouldn't be a streamer right now. 
Yeah. Because that is not the way I wanted to do it. Yeah. And it would have prevented me from enjoying it. Yep. It's like, who cares about maximizing if, yeah. the, the process? Just start. You're not going ru- to ruin anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, and, it's like, well, what if, what if one day I'm successful and, and this first thing gets found out? What? <laughs> you can't ever be successful if you don't get started. Yeah. And I recently heard a quote. Harper was listening to a podcast. She listens to a lot of uh, – she's really into like YouTube. Like we don't really watch a lot of professionally done – uh, content. Like, yeah. I watch Twitch streams. She watches YouTube. We're more into like the independent, mm-hmm. uh, individual type of content. Yep. And she was listening to a podcast from a couple of YouTubers who have a podcast as well. And I really liked what she had said. One, she was like quoting her husband, this girl. I don't know who she was. Otherwise, I'd give her credit. But yeah. I don't know who it was. Yep. Uh, she was just saying that her husband taught her, if you aren't embarrassed by your first take, you waited too long to get started. Yeah, and I really like that. You know, like you, you always hear bands that like they they listen to their first record and they're like, "Hey, we don't play this record because we don't actually like it because <laughs> it's really bad." Yeah, but they would never have good music if they didn't have bad music to start with. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I think I think we talked. I think we kind of talked about that with like the ten thousand hour principle or like the book Outliers with like the Beatles. Oh they yeah, yeah. For a long time, they were just like they're just rehashing other people's music. And then they started playing for hours a day and just started having fun with it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then eventually they became what we know as the Beatles, but yeah. they weren't that for a while. They Point had is to... your, your first edition better suck. Yeah. That, that means you got started. That yep. means you did something. Yeah, exactly. And, if, and, and uh, if, you, if your first edition doesn't suck, you probably don't have a first edition. Yep. That's the reality of it. Yeah. And there's no shame. Like, let's say you want to be an artist. Let's say, like, like there's no shame in taking a job at an insurance company like a lot of people like assert, like oh yeah it, perhaps perhaps in like artist circles it's like oh yeah what's better is to uh is to be a full-time artist and to make make your money where you go to work at your studio five days a week and maybe you wait tables or work at a bicycle shop yep but if you're not doing one of those two jobs you're not an artist <laughs> yeah exactly you're it's like the starving artist mentality where you have to be a martyr and you have to like suffer through this through this whole thing in order to create your art. Again, talk about not way. being creative. You're fitting a mold. Yep. Yep. And How's so, that for a dose of irony? You know, the hipsters who are the most stereotypical people in the world. <laughs> huh? Think you're original? <laughs> being a starving artist martyr? <laughs> for those of you who are finding offense at this, I invite you, one, keep listening. We got more for you. But two... <laughs> Take some introspection. When you're offended, that means something's ringing true. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Do you think we're going to be having like a – do you think our market's going to be like hipster artists who are fit in that mold, dude? I'm not painting us into a corner, man. No, uh, Exactly, dude. We're avoiding any sort of labels except for bad boys. That's one label. If you are will, a bad boy, you would be interested in, that will, in this that podcast. That will aptly describe <laughs> and put on us. But uh, outside of that, we're, we're, we're avoiding any sorts of labels. Take a job at an insurance company. Make money. If you're still, if that allows you to pursue your thing with more time and more flexibility. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That being said, I've actually had this idea a lot lately that, now this is good. I'm not trying to totally paint the opposite picture and say you need to burn your fleet and make sure you don't have any retreat yep. options so you pursue your passion. No, I, not, li- I, li- I like this, dude. Every, every big, great idea typically comes in conflict with another big, great idea. Totally. There, you know there's okay. always tensions in them, and yeah. that's totally okay. 
which if I had, and, and that's okay to have that within yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you could, you could take, you could piece together a whole bunch of different quotes from the handful of episodes we have and make me a living contradiction. Yep. Probably. Well, I don't know. Well, <laughs> a, a, there's a, there's a great quote that is able to reconcile what you're saying is, is that wisdom is tolerance of cognitive dissonance. Oh, snap. And, and so it's I'm gonna a, have to process that a little longer. Process but I like, it a little bit longer. I like what but, I got so far. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're obviously gonna have contradictions in life. Say that again. Correct, wisdom is what? Wisdom is tolerance of cognitive dissonance. Correct principles so. are gonna come in conflict with other correct principles. Equality and freedom are at odds with each other. It doesn't yeah. mean that you can't strive for both equality and freedom. Yeah, that's interesting. That's people who often criticize religion as being very religious. And, and let me tell you one thing: I am not ashamed of my faith. And uh-huh. open. <laughs> you want to know when I first heard that quote? When I was like 15, listening to a metal band called The Devil Wears Prada. Uh-huh. Talk about a band who doesn't like their first album. Yeah, <laughs> they never play their old songs. <laughs> like we hate that stuff. Anyway, there was just this great quote made by some 16-year-old angsty kid who was raised in a Christian home but wanted to be different, uh-huh. and he was screaming to be different. And yeah. He said, "Don't be ashamed of your faith." And as an angsty 15-year-old, I was like, "Yeah, yeah. Why in the hell am I ashamed of my faith?" Yeah. I'm going to be loud and proud. Anyway, people really like to criticize religion. Whatever. And, and one reason for that is because of the cognitive dissonance that exists. Mm-hmm. So we, you, you recognize that, that this doesn't make sense. Yeah, so what? Do you understand how the universe works? Uh-huh. You don't? Okay, then. Me neither. That's okay. So, so, what, <laughs> so, so a, a thought that I have with kind of with this same type of thing is oftentimes you, you'll find a, a, a conflict between science and religion. Whether that's sure. a, whether that's real and, and, and people and, often say God steps in when science stops. Yep. Right. Yeah. You stop and, believing in Poseidon once you understand weather patterns and and tidal yeah. waves work. All yeah. Right, whatever. And, and, and but my but my thought like, uh, going back, it's like a physics example with with a good concrete example of dissonance between science and religion. So, um. Scientists have no problem saying we believe in the theory of relativity and we also believe in the theory of quantum mechanics, even though the two are at odds with each other. They, they don't they cannot reconcile because the two are at odds with one another. Yeah. But they have no problem saying we don't know the solution yet, but we know that in so, that somehow they reconcile it. They, they reconcile the two. But we're not exactly sure how this is reconciled. Which is why, I, contrary to popular belief, there can be plenty of religious scientists. Exactly. And there are plenty of them. And there are plenty. Because, because to me, it's not that it's difficult. It's a way of thinking. It's not that difficult to say, I believe in religious principles, and I believe in scientific principles, and oftentimes they don't reconcile. Adam and Eve does not reconcile. The, the traditional classical story of Adam and Eve does not reconcile with the theory of evolution. I believe in the theory of evolution, and I also believe in Adam and Eve. Maybe how how you mean? <laughs> and and I just say, I don't know exactly how they reconcile. Maybe one is maybe Adam and Eve is incredibly uh, metaphorical. Like we just just the fact that I don't know how they reconcile doesn't necessarily mean that they don't. Does right. that does my point make sense to you? Of saying it's okay to say these two don't reconcile right now based on the information we have, but. I have faith that they one day will reconcile. Right. And once I know enough about right. science, once you know about enough about everything, yeah. you can find ways for the two to reconcile. Have you ever seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? 
I have. Yeah, I've, I mean, not, not every not every season. But I've seen first few seasons or whatever. Yeah, I've recently started getting back into it. It's been a long time since I've watched it. Uh-huh. Did you ever see the science episode, the science and religion argument? No, I'd love to watch it. It's though. so good, man. When Max tried to defend religion. Okay. <laughs> science is a liar sometimes. <laughs> it's it's amazing, and of course, of course, it's the classic tale of 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 that. If you just define faith as believing in something that you can't prove or you don't have personal experience with, yeah. that obviously most science driven people have faith, right? It's like, oh, yes. tell me, Dennis, have you ever met seen a dinosaur, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yes. Or have you ever walked on the moon, <laughs> right? Well, yep. well, no, but you're saying other men that you trust have done so and you believe their opinions <laughs> right he's like uh-huh. oh well no uh, uh, no it's just oh it's so it, it, they nail it they yep. nail that that stereotypical idea or whatever but yep. anyway point is cognitive dissonance oh it's a, a cognitive dissonance <laughs> yeah so do you remember reading the book sapiens you know i loved it i struggle to remember much about it that's okay but there's a there's a part in there where it's one that's uh, that is as as I was halfway through it it was on the reread list. Yep, for sure. Yep. Um, so there's a there, there's a part in there where he talks about part of what makes us human is the ability to hold opposing ideas. We we couldn't function in in the world without that ability to hold opposing ideas. Go on. And I wish I knew more about it. <laughs> so, so I think so. So, oh crap! We just proved uh, the limits oh, of our, our knowledge. <laughs> oh man, I I can't even remember that. He gives like four concrete examples of it about how it's like crucial to humanity and to the development of humanity, starting from the caveman days to where we are now, was that ability to hold opposing ideas and have cognitive dissonance. I wish I remembered it, honestly. But that's okay. You know what? We'll, we'll another episode. Maybe we can save it for another day. Maybe we do a little <laughs> fact check at the end or whatever. Yep. That's all right. One thing I want to talk about. Yep. I really like the idea. We've, we've talked a lot about failure. Uh, you know, the one just amazing idea. Failure has a function. Failure has a lot of functions, but one thing that I really like that she brought up that I'd never heard before. Failure has a function very specific that it asks you if you want to continue forward. Um. Yes, completely agree. Like, it, what, what a neat idea in that you really start to find out if you like something, if you fail at it, and just want to keep trying it. It's really cool. Yeah, so... And it's a great way... You know what? You don't need to pursue everything forever. There's... Okay, there are a lot of things that get taught to children that I just strongly disagree with. Mm-hmm. One being, like, you never stick to anything. You tried mm-hmm. the violin. You tried baseball. That was, like, stereotypically put in a lot of TV and yep. whatever. Why are we saying that's a bad thing? I oh. do. Th- I mean, and the, the point is, you just stick to it. You you should you don't. Well, don't I, the point. They're, I know they're trying to say, don't quit something. Don't try a million mm-hmm. things to quit them all. But what they actually, the message actually came across, at least to me as a little impressionable kid, was, don't try new things. Yes. Because if you try something, you have to commit to it for at least five years. Yep. I do believe. You know what? If you're gonna pl- like, when I I don't have kids yet, I do think it's probably a good idea that hey. If you're going to start playing the violin, you're going to stick to a semester. Oh. Or if you're going to sign up for Little League, you're going to play the full season. You're not going to quit in the middle of a season. But if you want to if you don't like baseball after a season, that's fine. Maybe play another season, maybe not. Yep. Okay, you so know, and you, you could set whatever limits you want and maybe maybe people are saying, "Well, you know, 
I tried twice and I didn't like it. Maybe, maybe you quit too early, right? Yep. So who knows where the threshold is? There's no magical number of times or time limit or whatever. But yep. point is, is you try new things, and if you fail, but you still like it, keep going. That's sweet. Yep, yep. So did you ever read the book Grit by Angela Duckworth? Yeah. Do you remember the part that she had a whole section in there on grit with parenting, and that's the point that she brings up is if you if you commit to a season, like you've committed to your team. Yeah, follow through on that commitment, but that doesn't mean that you have to do it the next year. Okay. It doesn't, like... Uh, I had this idea before I read this book. <laughs> this is this, this is, is your own creation, and that's okay, <laughs> man. You and Angela Douglas perhaps had the same creation at Maybe at she got times. it from me. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe the idea transferred from, from, <laughs> oh, from you to her oh, or whatever. Great, great segue. And she was the one. your critiques <laughs> of the book. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that in two seconds. Okay. But yeah, so... So it's it's pushing it's saying yeah try new things, commit to something don't quit halfway through if I'm in the middle of a lacrosse season and I've got three games left I'm not quitting before those three games even if I hate it you got to see it through yeah but once you're done with that season that was a, one of the greatest like eye opening experiences I ever had in high school and I say this to uh you played college lacrosse you loved it yeah I did not I did not love it that was fine. And, and so I was. A, I still love the sport. I was a sophomore in high school, play. and I had, I had done it for seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth. That's plenty. And that's I, a plenty enough sample size. And, and I did not. And I there was a lot of it that I did not like. Like it was not like jiving with my teammates, and it just wasn't. It just wasn't fun for me. And I was like dreading going into the next season. But I but like part of me thought like, oh, we, I have to play this next season. And then I came to the realization like, oh no, I I don't have to. I can I can quit. And it was the best decision because I ended up doing tennis instead, and I like just had a great time doing that. And it was like, yeah, if you're not liking something, you can stop doing it, and that's okay. You yeah. can give yourself permission to not pursue this. Yeah, as long as you're not you're a quitter or a failure. I'm not hanging, leaving other people hanging out to dry in the middle yeah. of the season. Yeah, huge difference. Back to my critique. Everyone has to retire. Everyone's got to retire. And you can be Uncle Rico or you can move on to something else. <laughs> yes. Back to my critique of the book, which was just like, and I'm saying this, we're, we're, I, I think this is funny because we, we had that whole section on like criticisms of the book or like criticisms of other people's art and criticisms of other people's work and how it's like, yeah, just go out and do something. Yeah. And it's like, it's also so exhausting when people are just being critical to try to sound smart. Yep. It's like, oh, yeah. Is it, okay, kinda, you had yeah. one unique, somewhat unique idea. <laughs> or, wow, you found a flaw in an argument. Who cares? <laughs> you found something wrong in the latest Star Wars movie, and you have to make it known to everybody that you found that thing wrong. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, you can still, what did I say? You, you can still critique. Yeah. Oh, I think. There's nothing you, wrong with. We're just like, you, you can still critique things. That's fine. You can still be critical of something. You know, it doesn't mean you have to be a negative Nancy. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to be mean. You don't have to be mean <laughs> and you don't have to put other people down while doing it in order right. to make yourself feel up. And and that's that's, that's I, I think difference. that I think that's the I yeah. think that's the whole thing. It's like, oh yeah, I'm better than that actor. It's, I'm it's, better it's than that. It's the why behind people. the criticism. Mm-hmm. Why are you criticizing? Yep. Is it try to sound smart or to try to make yourself feel cool? Yep. Good luck. <laughs> so 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 my one my my one critique of this book is she gets into a little bit of like new. I, I would define it as like new agey woo woo ideas of how like an idea 
has a life of its own. It's like a separate entity and it like passes through you. And if you don't embrace that idea and say, I'm going to run with this, then the idea will eventually move on and find somebody else to whom it will take place. So she gives the example of she was a writer and she had an idea for like, uh, for like a Brazilian gold mining book, like a creative gold Brazilian gold mine. And she, she had the idea and she started it, but then she didn't really do it. And then her friend, Ann Patchett, who's like a number one New York Times bestseller author, like just an incredible, incredible writer. She sees her and then like a couple years later, she's picking up Ann Patchett's new book and it was the same idea that she had. And she was like, I must have transferred this idea to Ann Patchett. Or Ann Patchett got a hold of your journal and stole the idea. You ever think of that? <laughs> huh? Maybe Ann's not your friend. <laughs> Wouldn't that be such a great follow-up to this? Yeah, and comes out and is like, hey, side note, hey. you didn't transfer any idea to me. I freaking read it off your journal, no, you idiot. There's no metaphysical nature of ideas <laughs> that exist in your head that are somehow passed into my head. No. I just read this from you from your journal and took it from you. Yeah, you were taking a yeah, you were taking a shower. And I it's not gonna do it. Um so I kinda like the idea in that their creative ideas are kind of a responsibility. And it's, it kind of takes stewardship uh-huh. of the idea. I yeah. kind of like it, but I'm not saying that's how the universe works. And I, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, and this is kind of like a. I, I guess it kind of comes across to me as like a, like a the secret law of attraction type thing where the universe li- literally responds in kind. I like the idea on a metaphorical nature. Going back to the arguments of of metaphor versus literalism. Yeah, who cares? At some point, does it matter? It really doesn't, as long as as long as it's getting out there. Yeah. So i I think that I think that she views it a little bit more literally the transfer of ideas from person to person. I think she where, does. Where it can it can legitimately transfer from your head into their head, and you forget about it, and, and you forget about it, and then you remember. It's like it this all weird zero sum world. <laughs> yep. And I I view it just more as like a more of a metaphorical thing where yes, take stewardship over your ideas, and also yes, there are things that are in. I guess things that are in the cultural zeitgeist, things that are in the air that uh, we don't we don't know where she got that. She could have gotten that idea from a news story that she didn't even consciously internalize, but she just heard it in the right. background. Was like, and it got in her mind, and then she had yeah, the same idea. Yeah, I mean, and it's possible, is crazy, that, right? You could have you could have heard it. Never processed it, mm-hmm. or never consciously processed it. Yep. Yeah. Or or and, and the other author was also was also watching that same news story or reading yeah. or reading similar articles and running around in similar circles where those types of ideas were discussed. Yeah. I think that's more likely. In the end, though, it doesn't really matter. That whole new agey woo-woo thing doesn't really contradict any of her ideas of live creatively and take advantage of ideas that come to you. And we don't know exactly how ideas come to you, but take advantage of them when they do. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's a great summary point, and that that that's kind of what the, what she's trying to drive across, mm-hmm. right? Overall, I would recommend this book. I really was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. She's a fantastic author, like we described before. She succinctly sums up these points in ways that I wouldn't have been able to write. Yeah, and it kind of inspired me and encouraged me to. Get out there and try new things, regardless of what critical reception would be. Yeah. Regardless of what other people in the world would think. So, yeah. 
totally worth the read. And to redefine creativity. It doesn't have to creativity doesn't have to be something you present to someone else. Yep. Creativity can be how you decided a to much, there can be clean a much, your house that day. A much broader definition of what creative living is. Yeah. Loved it. I, I do recommend this book. And thank you, Liz, for giving us this gem. Yeah, and stay tuned next week for Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> <laughs> nah, they didn't us. That's, that's lame. We cool. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.